Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to part three of our Bible and current event study for August 5th, 2007. And we're going to continue with the last part. And we're going to be exploring now the... I guess, how, how do we put this in a nice way? The sexual laws that are covered in the 18th and 20th chapters of Leviticus in part... And we're also going to be looking at a lot of the other things. Now, this is something that's never preached on in the churches. I, I don't... <laughs> never. Because the information that I'm going to get into today would probably cause a mass exodus. Even in lukewarm apostate churches. It would probably cause a mass exodus. Because stuff that I'm going to get into today... Uh, is not going to be something... A lot of it's going to be things you've never heard, most likely, because you're not going to hear this from your from a 501c3 church, most likely. And yet, it's one of the main things that's probably defiling the body of Christ and preventing a whole lot of people from getting saved, preventing a whole lot of people getting right from God with God. And it would be something that, of all things, the devil would not want to be released. So, moving forward with the study... We're going um, to be quoting a lot of scripture in this study. And remember, the, again, the Bible says, He that judgeth the matter before he heareth it is a folly and a shame on him. That's Proverbs 18.13. So, please, you know, if you start this, see it through to the end, so you can listen to the whole thing in totality. Because I'm telling you, this issue alone is probably going to cause a ton of people to go to hell, flat out. And I'm not saying this is so much a salvation issue, as it is, if we had, if we have a lot of sin in our lives and we're not even aware it's sin, can we still be destroyed for lack of knowledge? Can this be something that would hinder us actually uh, being able to appropriate the Lord's help? The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, verse 18. So these are things that, that we need to kind of bear in mind as we, as we go through the study. Now, it's my belief that there are many reasons for the degradation of the church in the modern day church, in the day and time we live in. Some major reasons are perverted word of God. Okay, this is all these modern translations. And if you doubt that, please email me. Get you a whole packet on it. The church incorporation issue, which I can get you a whole packet on this as well. The 501c3 Church of America, how they've been muzzled. And then the topic that we're going to be covering today, this is probably one of the three biggies of why the church is in the shape it's in, particularly um, in America. I truly believe Satan desperately does not want this information being released. And I'm just going to try to endeavor to do my best to, to present this, put this before us. We're going to be looking at the sexual laws covered in chapter the 18th and 20th chapter of Leviticus, and also mentioned where there's some other things mentioned in 1 Corinthians, like 1 Corinthians 6.18. Now, these are referred to as personal laws and or guidelines given to, given to protect our own bodies. We're, what I'm going to try to do is present this information in light of scripture, exact dictionary definitions of words, 
long-standing U.S. statutes and also common sense. We're going we're gonna to be looking at the Bible, and we're also going to be looking at some other things today. The Bible says out of mouth the two or three witnesses a thing is established, and that's what we're going to you know, try to do today here. Now, although we're not under the law, these sexual laws, like the Ten Commandments, are as equally applicable today as when they were written. Why would they ever change? If you think about it, why would the sexual laws... I mean, is there ever going to come a day and time when God is going to say it's okay to uh, commit adultery? Or to have incest? Or for a man to lie with a beast? I don't think so. So this is common sense we get into now. The, the penalty for defiling the physical body is physical death. Where does it say that? Well, 1 Corinthians 3.16-17 through 17 says... Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? Now that doesn't mean that if you've, you've committed these things, that you can't go to God and ask forgiveness. Okay? But I'm talking about things that many Christians are doing, and they're not going to God ask for forgiveness, because they think it's okay. Oh, this is alright. I don't have to go to God or ask for... Well, you still reap what you sow. And you're not even going to God to ask forgiveness. Maybe you're not even aware of it. Well, you're being destroyed for lack of knowledge then. And it will hinder you. And that's what Satan's ultimate goal is, is once we get saved, to hinder us as much as possible. Now, let's go ahead and... Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15... 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. I'm turning there myself. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. And that says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. This is the body of Christ. Okay? <clears throat> Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of an harlot? Harlot would be like a whorish woman in this particular instance. God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Every other sin. Okay? But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So you're sinning against your own temple. Particularly if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. The Bible says, For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye, if you're saved. And then we go to verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So see, you're not of your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, and your spirit, which are of God's. See, Jesus Christ bought us through his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection. We're bought with a price. The price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross, which would be the price of our sin debt, the sin debt of all humanity. So we're bought with a price, and the Bible says here, we are not our own. 
Now let's also look real quick at 1 Corinthians 3.16 again. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? Hmm. I wonder how many Christians have been destroyed because they've defiled their temple. Physically. I'm not saying they weren't saved, okay? That's between them and God. The Bible says that some will be saved, yet so is by fire, in reference to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what is fornication? See, we need to know the definitions of these words in order to understand what we're talking about. Because our definition may not be accurate, what we think it means. What is fornication? The Webster's New World College Dictionary defines fornication in the Bible as, quote, any unlawful sexual intercourse. Any unlawful sexual what? Intercourse. That's another word we need to understand. And that would be including adultery. Okay, so what does intercourse mean? Intercourse is defined as normal sexual intercourse or... See, you've got to really pay attention in this, in this study because there's these definitions encompass more than one thing. So intercourse is defined as any normal sexual intercourse or any other sexual act involving the insertion of the male phallus. Any other sexual act involving the insertion of a male phallus. That's what intercourse is defined as in its totality from a biblical standpoint. And this relates to the definition of fornication. Because fornication is defined, we'll go back again, in the Bible as, quote, any unlawful sexual intercourse. Well, now we know the definition of intercourse. It can encompass normal sexual intercourse or any other sexual act involving the insertion of a male phallus. Okay, now I'm not going to get into graphic detail. You're going to have to figure some of this out for yourself. I don't even like doing this study, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I'm by nature like a shy person. I don't even like getting into this. But I don't know anybody else that's really doing it. And there's one other... Th this information was from a, a, another man, and I, I forget exactly his name. And what I've done is I've taken, I've expanded on it. I've, I've really tried to get... Because I thought that when I read this, there were a lot of things he was leaving out where somebody could come back and say, oh yes, but this. Well, I'm really trying to fill in all those little gaps so there's not really any wiggle room. Because I think it's either a black and white issue here okay, that we're dealing with. Now, listen to this next part. The personal protection laws for which most of humanity are guilty of violating are the sexual laws outlined in Leviticus 18 and 20. Now, Sodomy is defined in Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary as, quote, this is the definition of sodomy. Now, we think of the sodomites. They're just gay guys, right? Well, hold on. What, is, what does the Webster's New Collegiate Di College Dictionary, this isn't some, like, conspiracy theory site. This is just a dictionary. It defines sodomy as, quote, copulation, which is a sex act, with a member of the same sex. Okay, that's what we traditionally think of sodomy as. Well, it doesn't stop there. It goes on. It says, or, with an animal. Did you know sodomy fell under that classification? Or, a natural copulation with a member of the opposite sex. 
This is huge. What I just said is gigantic. And I didn't say it. The Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary said it. Copulation isn't just a sex act with the same sex. It also encompasses with an animal or, and this is the big one, or unnatural copulation with a member of the opposite sex. Hmm. So sodomy is not just homosexuality. But it is an unnatural sex act as well. God himself gave us sexual laws to identify for us which that is unnatural and therefore is not to be engaged in. Okay, so to confirm that, Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I not known sin, but by the law. This is why we're kind of looking back at some of these other... Uh, we started out in part 1, or actually part 2 today, where we looked at the Levitical Dietary Guidelines. Now we're looking at the actual... Um, the sexual laws that were laid down in the Bible. So I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust... Except the law said, thou shall not covet. Okay, so we just want to, again, we want to have perspective as we're going through this whole thing. So, let's go a little bit further. For hundreds of years in the United States, individual states had statutes that banned sodomy. And I don't just mean a male with a male. I actually, I remember one time I was driving, this was before I was saved, I was driving up to a place called Helen, Georgia. I think for their Oktoberfest. I, I, I wasn't saved. And I remember specifically seeing a road sign that said that you're entering a town or a county or something that banned oral sex. And they and that, that was viewed as sodomy. And I, I thought, whoa! I mean, I, I just was, I was so taken back by it. But for hundreds of years in the United States, individual states had statutes that banned sodomy, which they defined as a crime against nature, which was defined as the same definition I just read. Crime against nature. What definition you just read? Well, the one that said copulation, sodomy is copulation with a member of the same sex, or an animal, or a natural copulation with a member of the opposite sex. The opposite, not same, opposite. Heterosexual. Okay, and again, you know, I'm not going to get into gory details here, but would unnatural copulation be considered oral sex? Not only anal, but oral? Because a lot of times people only think of sodomy, oh, it's just anal. No, it's not. Not according, not according to Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary. Oral sex would be considered unnatural copulation. And this would define it as a member of the opposite sex. As well. It encompasses that. These statutes... Now, this is also... This crime against nature can also be confirmed by the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Which is one of the gold standards for defining words as well. These statutes, along with the official definition of sodomy, sees no difference between married and unmarried couples. Oh me. So sodomy was just as illegal between consenting married couples as it would have been for unmarried couples. It was still a violation. 
So at one time, this information I'm presenting was, was common knowledge. It was common knowledge. Galatians 4.16 says, am I, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now let's go, let's go to Hebrews 13.4. Because I'm, we're going to look at all sides of this. We're going to look at all sides because I can, you know, hear the uh, rejection. I'm sure a lot of people are not going to like this. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. This is typically the proof text verse which people will use to justify consenting husband, uh, consenting, uh, consenting husband and wife that they can do anything they want in the bedroom. Number one, it is a biblically dangerous practice to justify your behavior as a Christian based on one verse of Scripture. Especially if there are other verses in Scripture that cautions us about the specific behaviors. And not only that, but these definitions and these statutes that I, that I just read. And the statutes, a lot of these statutes were, were around for hundreds of years. Some of these statutes are still in place, they're just not enforced anymore. Now, does Hebrews 13.4 license a married couple to engage in any sexual practice they desire? It's kind of like the other thing where, where, you, where we were just talking about where the Bible talks about, well, it is sanctified through prayer when you have a meal. Well, okay, does that justify you to eat any single way you want to eat all the time just because it's sanctified through the Word of God and prayer? If you do something bad, you can still reap, you're still going to reap bad fruit. So, I think you would agree that the Word of God cannot contradict itself and would never condone any sinful practice. So, does Hebrews 13.4 negate or invalidate the definition of sodomy in relation to the biblical marriage bed? These are questions you have to ask yourself. Let me say that again. Does Hebrews 13.4, where it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Oh, so does that mean that, that two consenting adults that are born-again Christians can do whatever they want to in bed? They can defile each other, they can have every type of sex that they want to have, and that's, that's all honorable. A lot of people think that. A lot of people think that. Even though what they do falls under the definition, a long-standing definition of what sodomy actually is, again, wouldn't you want to at least err on the side of safety? Even if you weren't totally convinced what I'm saying today. I mean, wouldn't you kind of want to err on the side of safety? So does Hebrews 13.4 negate or invalidate the definition of sodomy in relation to the biblical marriage bed? Also, does Hebrews 13.4 negate certain sexual sins that the Bible mentions if these sins are practiced within a biblical marriage. Bible, Bible can't contradict itself. I think, honestly, when they wrote the Bible, these were such foregone conclusions, and this information that I'm talking about was so well known. They didn't have to get into the kind of gory detail. The, the Bible's not written in gory detail, if you've noticed that. It's not written that way. It's not going to get into, okay, you can't do this specific when it comes to sexual things. A lot of these things, again, were commonly known 
if we go we we'll go back a hundred years ago. It's just that because we we don't know about it today, we think, oh, this can't be so. My preacher should, would have told me this if it well, right, right. Like you're going to get the truth at a 501c3 church. They're not even using the right Bible. Come on, we're in the Laodicean church era, where they're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. Yet they think they're in need of nothing. If you think about it, why or how could the sexual sins mentioned in the Bible, well known to mankind at, at a previous time, ever be justified? Whether the persons committing these sins are biblically married or not. Now the vast majority of sexual sins, most Christians would not even think about arguing. Like adultery or, you know, these types of things. But surprisingly though, there are some that are not so much argued, but are seldom ever mentioned. Again, out of sight, out of mind. You've heard me say this before. It's not so much what a church is saying, it's what it's not saying. It's what it's never being said. Like what we're talking about today. Remember, I had not known sin, but by the law. Romans 7.7. 7. So see, the law is there to show us what sin is. You get that? The Ten Commandments are there to show us what sin is. Are we bound up by the law under the particular uh, covenant, under the better covenant that Jesus Christ gave us? No. But we're not to use our liberty for an occasion in the flesh. And the law is there to show us what sin is. Well, these, these, these sexual laws that were, that were talked about, we're going to get into that more. That's why they're there for. Satan wants more than anything to keep this information in darkness because he knows how these sins can so defile and ruin a Christian. Well, how do you know that? Well, there was a verse that we just read that kind of gets into that a little bit. And I'm going to try to find it here again. See, it says flee fornication. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. See, it's almost a different... All sin is, is an abomination in the sight of God, okay? But it's almost a different classification of sin that does something different to you. When you join flesh to flesh, especially if, if you join to a harlot or, or something like that, there's a demonic exchange that takes place. Now, I haven't even talked about that yet. Don't you understand that people that participate in high-level occultic rituals do all of these things that are listed as sodomy? And they do it to impart demons. They do it in order to demonically infest their victim. It's a well-known fact that people that are homosexuals were typically abused by a same-sex partner at a very early age. And that's a very sad thing. Doesn't mean they can't get saved. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that most people that are practicing homosexuals today, and it's well known if you study high-level occult, that people that are involved in high-level occult defile their victims, and preferably the earlier the better. They vampirize their innocence, essentially, and they're imparting demons into them, so that when that person grows up, they're growing up as defiled as possible. They want to get them as corrupt right from the get-go. Because of the demonic exchange that took place through all manner, typically, of sodomy. 
that they have practiced with that young child. It's well known in the occult. Okay, what I'm talking about here. So, this is a different type of sin. When you join flesh to flesh with another person, you're taking it to a whole other level. You're potentially affecting yourself to a whole other level that, that you it is very, very, very hard to even conceive. Okay, let's just read a little bit more about this in Proverbs. I'm not going to get too far into this, but in, in Proverbs um, verse six or chapter 6, verse 24, well, let's just go to 23. For the commandment is a lamp. This is like the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible says, is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. So, this verse in verse 23 of Proverbs 6 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. See, these laws that we're talking about are light. Most people are in darkness that are Christians. They don't know this. Therefore, they're being destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the reproofs of instruction are the way to life. Verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Now, this could very well apply to a man to a woman as well. The evil woman. The flattery. That's one of the things you always got to be careful of. You have somebody coming up to you and flattering you, you better, you better just be real careful right off the bat there. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Wow, it sounds like, you know, she's, she's after more than just his money. She's after his life. His soul. I'm going to prove that in a second. Can a man take fire in his, in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Well, that's how they will relate this whorish woman when you sleep with, to a, like a, like fire. Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, you know what that means? It's a real nice way, you know, of saying they're having sexual intercourse. So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Verse 32, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Now, I'm not saying that you can't achieve forgiveness, okay? But I'm saying that it will affect you in a very spiritual way because it says you're destroying your own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get. And his reproach shall not be wiped away. At bare minimum, you know, this happens to you. Maybe your ministry is destroyed forever. Satan's accomplished his goal. He's discredited another Christian. And then it goes to verse 7 and it talks more about this. And it talks about the wisdom and that, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger, again, which flattereth with her words. And then going to verse 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. This is a man that she was after. With 
flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, and as a fool to the correction of the stocks. So this is, there couldn't be much more stronger language in regard to not fornicating and not having intercourse with somebody who's not your biblical wife. There really couldn't be much more stronger words here. Till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. It talks a lot about here, this is in conjunction with you dying. Remember, there's no other sin that you can commit that, that affects you this way. The Bible is clear about that. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children. This is verse 24 of chapter 7, Proverbs. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend unto the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline in her ways. Go not astray in her paths. Don't even go near where she's going to be crossing you. Where, where you're going to even cross paths. For she hath cast many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Well, I, you know, something, this, is, this relates to the subject today, very much so. I don't think we can have any stronger of a warning than that. I, I just, I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. And again, that was a little tangent I went off on there, but I think it's appropriate for this study. So, let's go back to the study here. So again, Satan wants more than anything to keep this information in darkness because he knows these sins can cause, can cause and so defile and ruin a Christian. Now, let's examine the seven different classifications of sexual sins. Number one, incest, which would be sexual relations with a close family member. Okay. You want the full, you know, definition, it's Leviticus 18, 6 through 18. And um, we can go to these. Leviticus 18, chapter 6, or, or 18, verse 6. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him, near of kin, close family member, to uncover their nakedness, I am the Lord. Now, when it says to uncover their nakedness, we need to define what that, what that means. Okay? Because, that means, what does that mean? Just going over them and looking at them naked? No, remember, the Bible's written in a very genteel way. It's written in a very ungraphic way. Again, a lot, for much of history, a lot of this was well known. But see, Today's day and age, because we're really not getting the truth from the pulpit for the most part, in regard to issues like this, we don't really understand what this means. So, this uncovering nakedness is an act. It's not just looking. Now, let's prove that. Let's go to Leviticus 20, verse 11. Leviticus 20, verse 11. Okay, let's just go to verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, 
the adulterer and the adulteress surely be, shall be put to death. So, death, it was the death penalty back then. Death and hell. Pretty much. That's how serious this was. Verse 11 is the key. Of what does this uncovering nakedness mean? And the man that lieth with his father's wife, this de- this defines what uncovering what what uncovering one's nakedness means. This is the definition. You can go to other parts of the Bible to get a definition for what a phrase means. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. A man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Okay, well let's go to verse let's go to verse 20. And if a man shall lie with his uncle's wife, he hath uncovered his uncle's nakedness. Well, that implies an act. That implies uncovering one's nakedness means lying going to bed with, sleeping with, having sexual intercourse with them. In this case, it was it was lying with your father's wife. How sick. That, that is, whoa, that is sick. But, this is the definition of what this means. Okay, let's go further. Let's go to verse 21 of Leviticus 20. Verse 21 then says, If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Now that's almost pronouncing a a curse. Hmm. So, uncovering one's nakedness is the sexual act. Okay? I think it's pretty clear from these verses. Now, adultery. Adultery, we can go to Leviticus 18.20. Leviticus 18.20 says, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Okay? And then Leviticus 20.10 Leviticus 20.10, I think we've already read. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. See, these were death penalties back then. It wasn't like it is today, where it was some, hey man, whatever happened. Back then, you were dead. That was the penalty. That's how serious it was. I think it's still just as serious in God's eyes, Bible says, I am God, I change it not. Same today, yesterday, and forever. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that we're under Old Testament Levitical law as a born-again Christian. But it's very serious stuff we're dealing with here. Now, the third classification of sexual sins. And I'm going to term this sexual self-satisfaction. Or sexual self-gratification. Okay? That's about all I'm going to say about it as far as a graphic definition. Let's read first Genesis 38, 9 through 10. Genesis 38, 
9 through 10. Okay. And Judah, well, let's start at verse 8. And Judah said to Onan, Go into thy brother's wife and marry her. See, his brother had died. And raise up seed to thy brother. This is something they commonly did back then. If the older brother died, the younger brother would take the wife, would take her as his own wife, to raise up seed unto his brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. In other words, I guess his brother would still get credit, even though he was dead, for the offspring. Of course, you know, he felt this way, evidently. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass, when he went into his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground. What did he spill? His seed? Okay? Lest that he should give his seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, which he slew him also. So he killed him right there. Well, you know, I can't really read this verse and think that what was accomplished here. Well, let's let's look through this. What was what was accomplished actually through this? Remember, part of the definition of sodomy, which is a word which means a crime against nature. Part of the definition of sodomy was a natural copulation. What is the only natural copulation? Vaginal intercourse with your wife. If you think about it, what other what other copulate what other forms of intercourse would be acceptable in God's eyes? What other one could there be? I can't think of any other than what I just mentioned. Sodomy is defined as unnatural copulation or an unnatural sex act. Sodomy is an unnatural sex act against nature. A crime against nature will yield no good fruit. A crime against nature would encompass the wasting of a man's seed because that act is against nature. And it is against God's given purpose for the Lord would have for that seed. And for that man's body. This sin is a sin against one's own body. Now I'm going to go further with this, so, so don't give up on me now. Because I'm going to go further with this to, to prove this thing out. As a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside us. Again, we, we, we know that because of the verses we just read in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. For ye are the temple of God, which temple are ye, and the temple is holy, okay? Everything that we do think, the Holy Spirit witnesses. The angels also witness these things. Oh, think about that. Wow. Holy Spirit lives inside you. He's witnessing all these things. The angels also are witnessing these things. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be a very um, horrific place for a lot of people. Now, I'm not saying that if you've went to the Lord and you've confessed your sins and you've repented of those sins, God can't separate those sins as far as the east from the west and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. I'm talking about somebody that maybe doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't think it's sin, doesn't ever repent. How does Jesus' blood cover sins that you never repented of? Or never even acknowledged as sin? Maybe this is why the Bible says, my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
imagine standing at the judgment seat of Christ and trying to justify any of these sexual sins that I just said. Satan also witnesses these things and will accuse us before God. Oh, well, where does it say that at? Well, let's go to Revelation 12.10. See, the problem is, is we can't see who's really around us. can't see the Holy Spirit lives inside us as a born-again Christian. You can't see the angels, and you can't see the devils and the demons. And they're witnessing these things too. Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Come, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. And the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That's one of the things Satan is known by. The accuser of the brethren. Well, if you give him ammunition to accuse you before the throne day and night, what can Jesus Christ do? Well, he's our heavenly advocate. His blood covers it all. True. But if these are sins that we've never repented of, and we're doing them willfully and wantonly, and and, 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 and Satan's seeing this, and he's going before and accusing us, how can Jesus really go forth on our behalf as our heavenly advocate What can he do? It's like we're tying his hands. Unconfessed sin does that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. These are just things to think about. Let's go further. Another thing to consider. How could the one time the Bible, in the Bible where the spilling of seed is clearly mentioned in Scripture, which resulted in this man's death... By God, how could this possibly be a biblical endorsement for sexual self-gratification? Is it an endorsement? I don't think so. If anything, is it clear by this passage that this angered God so much that this man was killed? This result, The result of this act, mentioned in Genesis, and sexual self-gratification are the same in that a man's seed was spilled and wasted. Now, granted, I understand in this case, he was actually trying to raise up seed to his brother's wife. Okay? Sexual self-gratification isn't that particular exact scenario. But the, the result is the same, meaning the seed being spilled and wasted. When you think about it, this is an unnatural sex act with yourself. The natural copulation. Which would also confirm this behavior falling potentially under the definition of sodomy. Because that's what sodomy is defined as, is unnatural copulation. Now again, I'm not going to get super dogmatic. I'm not God on the throne. I don't know exactly how he... But, again, this is something that I think would be very safe to err on the side of safety. The seed is where the future generations start. The man's seed is where the future generations start. If the seed is destroyed and wasted, it will affect future generations in an adverse way. The Bible says in Romans 14.23, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. How could the act of self-sexual gratification be an act of faith? 
is it fleeing all appearance of evil? And knowing this act is not of faith, according to this verse I just read, then it is sin. Also, it is not possible to commit this act. Here's a big one. It's not possible to commit the act of self-sexual gratification and not lust in your mind in the process. Well, well, hold on. Well, let's look at that a little bit closer. 1 Peter 2.11 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Remember, we're dealing with something that affects the soul here. We've looked at that in Proverbs. We've looked at that in Corinthians. Now we're looking at it here in 1 Peter. Which war against your soul, fleshly lusts. Let's go to the next verse in 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes... Well, that's what you're dealing with with, with uh, most of these sins that I'm talking about. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay, let's go to Matthew 5.28. Matthew 5.28. I'm going there myself here. Matthew 5.28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Okay, so this is this is um, something that's a very serious matter here. 1 Corinthians 10.9 1 Corinthians 10.9 says, Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. It's almost like you're provoking Christ when you're engaging in these things, in other words. Verse 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but as such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Okay, so there's the solution. You have to go to Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a saved Christian, in order to overcome these types of things. You cannot do these things in and of yourselves. Remember, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, let's go now to Proverbs 23, verse 7. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So, if this is what you're thinking all the time, then it's going to affect you in a very, very negative way. And this is why pornography is so detrimental. Because, it, you know, you're defiling yourself from the inside out. Now, we've only went through the first three sexual sins. The, the next four will go pretty quick. The, la the next one is homosexuality, which if we go to Leviticus 20.13... Leviticus, no, we're doing a lot of Bible today here. Leviticus 20, 13 says, If a man 
also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman. Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Okay, so it's punishable by death, homosexuality. And if we go to Leviticus 18.22, it says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind, as with womankind, it is an abomination. And then, the fifth sexual sin is bestiality, having sex with an animal. Leviticus 18.23 says, Neither shall thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, neither shall any woman stand before beast to lie down with it. It is confusion. Defile, not, defile ye not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these nations are defiled, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. In other words, all these nations that God was casting out before them, they were all doing this stuff. And look here. It says, And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Well, okay, we've got these sexual sins that I mentioned here going on every single day here in America, being condoned, being, condoned, being legalized, same-sex marriages, things of this nature. And then you've got 4,000 babies being slaughtered every day in the abortion mills of America. Now, innocent blood also defiles the land. So you've got all these sexual sins going on that a lot of people don't even think there's any big deal with, including Christians. And then you've got all of, all of the, uh, the aborted uh, babies that they're, they're killing every day. Could you imagine how defiled this land of America is in God's eyes? I can't even imagine. Well, what, what does it say happens then? In the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Well, that's pretty much coming. That's pretty much what's coming here. The land has been defiled. Well, let's read a little further. Verse 27. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also. What does that tell you? That means that when these sins are going on, it's a matter of time before the land will spew you out. And that's probably going to mean your death as well. That the land spew not you out also when ye defile it. As it spewed out the nations that were before you. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. If we're doing the same stuff that defiled the land before and that got those inhabitants kicked off that land, spewed out, well, the same thing will happen to us. God has no respect of persons. For whoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them, shall also be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall ye keep my ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs, which ye were committed before you, that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. This is heavy-duty warnings here. How often have you ever heard this preached on in the churches? You think you're going to turn on the TV and hear this from Benny Hinn? Or Kenneth Copeland? Or any other than name and claim it, boys? Well, no, I wonder why. Well, because it's unpopular. Because this isn't stuff that, that anybody wants to hear. But again, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Let's go further. Abortion. 
Leviticus 20, 1 through 5. Leviticus 20, 1 through 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses again, saying, Thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. Well, what does that mean? Well, they would actually sacrifice their children to Molech. When you, when you hear them um, give any of their seed to Molech, they're giving their offspring to Molech. And how that all worked is there was a big statue of Molech, and he had his hands out, and they would heat his hands up to white hot, and his hands would be, would be tilted up slightly, and you have a hole in his stomach. And you would put the little innocent baby on the white hot hands, your own innocent baby, and it would roll into his stomach. I can't even conceive of the... Of the I, I, I just can't even conceive of doing that. And they did it for usually financial prosperity blessings. How stinking sick. Now, we do it today, we just do it a little bit differently. We do it, we do it in the, uh, they, they slaughter the babies in the privacy of the womb. In the back room of some medical office where people are wearing white lab coats and everything seems real official. It's all an abomination from the pit of hell, every bit of it. And Moloch is one of the deities of child sacrifice. So is Lilith. These are devils, these are fallen angels that are associated and have their assignments in the fallen angelic hierarchy that Satan overrules. Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. So these are things, these are real entities that motivate these people to do these things. Chemosh was another one. So, he's saying, don't give any of your seed to Moloch. If you do it, you'll be put to death. See, if you had an abortion back then, or if you killed your child, you're dead. It was a death penalty for you. I think if that was the case now, there'd probably be a lot less abortions. I, I, I just have this feeling, because think about it. The reason that these women are having these abortions, the, the, the vast, vast majority of the time, is because they don't want to deal with the kid. Well, isn't that like the ultimate in self-centeredness? How self-centered can you possibly get? And then it says in verse 3, I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from among his people, because he hath given of his seed unto Molech, to defile my sanctuary and to pervane my holy name. See, when you do this, it defiles things. It defiles the land. It defiles, who knows? Verse 4, and if, if the people of the land do any way hide their eyes from the man... In other words, if they condone his sin, or they don't do anything to the man, when he giveth of his seed unto Molech, and kill him not, in other words, he's commanded to be killed, then I will set my face against that man, and against his family, and I will cut him off. And all that go a-whoring after him, to commit whoredom with a Molech from among their people. See, it was, it was not even a... It was a he was dead. You had to kill him. You had to purge out the leaven that he had brought into the camp, like they did with Achan. Let's go to the seventh sexual sin. Sexual intercourse with a female during her menstrual cycle. Oh, did you know that was one? Okay, let's go to Leviticus 20.18. 
Leviticus 20, 18. And if a man lie with a woman, having her sickness, and shall uncover her nakedness, well, we already define what uncovering her nakedness is. That's lying with her. That's, that's having sexual intercourse. And shall uncover her nakedness, he hath discovered her fountain. This is, in res- this is in result, this is in regard to the menstrual cycle. And she hath uncovered the fountain of her blood, and both of them shall be cut off from among their people. Hmm. Let's go to Levit- Leviticus 18, verse 19. Leviticus 18, verse 19. Also, thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness, as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. Same, this is in reference to the same thing. Now, a violation of this is actually a double violation of the sexual laws. This act is covered both under the sexual and the sanitary laws. Any violation of the sexual or sanitary laws of the Bible are a violation of the personal protection laws given by God to protect our bodies. Not because he's a cruel taskmaster, but for our own good. Not only do we slowly kill ourselves when we sin against our body, but we also subject our children to being spiritually affected by those same sins. A lot of stuff to think about today. And then there's also that verse about talks about taking the Lord's Supper, that it says many have taken it unworthily. And many have fallen asleep, meaning they have died and have gotten sick because they had all this unconfessed sin in their life. They're taking the Lord's Supper and they're not confessing it as sin. And they're slowly killing themselves, if not quickly. Well, this wasn't a very lighthearted teaching, but hopefully you can glean and garner from it. And I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer for today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Lord God, that your word was preached today. I pray, God, wherever your word is being preached worldwide, that you bless it, Lord. That those listening to us, this message, that you give them ears to hear, hearts to receive, and eyes to see, Lord. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. That you would cleanse us of presumptuous sins, which is what we've really talked about today, Lord. And secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, Lord. That there would be nothing in our lives that would hinder our prayers. That we would pray in a manner according to thy will. That nevertheless not our will, but your will would be done. That you would forgive us collectively, Lord God, for the sins that we have committed. These sins that I've mentioned, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that that all those out there listening to this, Lord God, that, that you forgive them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you give them eyes to see this as sin. We thank you, Lord God. We praise you for all your goodness and your mercy. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.